family. Good morning. It's uh, such a pleasure to be in the presence of God with you. It's, it's wonderful, and uh, we appreciate so many times the worship team. We can appreciate them again if you can give them a round of applause. I don't know if you are familiar um, that just in order to prepare and making sure that uh, the whole team has rehearsed properly, they're coming one hour earlier just to rehearse to make sure that everything uh, in sound is working so that we can have this beautiful, amazing time in the presence of God in worship, and, and thank God for them. Um, and this morning, I was uh, as I was preparing for this week, it really came to my mind, we've been so blessed by the Word of God recently. I've been so blessed by the Word of God that has been preached in this place. It has blessed my soul. It has blessed your soul as well. So can we give a round of applause to the preachers that we have? It takes a lot, and especially it takes a lot if, if you have a very busy week and you're rushing around and you're trying your very best to prepare for the message, but as the weekend comes, you're kind of, okay, I need to really make sure that I get this and really focus. Uh, but really, God has been using um, the team and has been using uh, the word that is preached here really to bless our lives. And I, I really think, and for me personally, that God is really making me relearn a lot of the things that apparently I knew, but maybe I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't aware of how uh, deep the Word of God is. I wasn't aware of how important it is to apply the Word of God to my life. And, and for the, the topic, and we came out of a message series called Meals with Jesus, and it's been amazing, just beautiful, getting to know Jesus better, exactly what we sang, and we're going to continue to get to know Jesus better and then God really put in my heart this week, and I was really excited. I'm really excited for the message today, because um, and what I want to talk to you about, and I want to start here, because one of the most essential, one of the most important pillars in society is pinky promises. How many of you know what a pinky promise is? Pinky promises are really important. It's really important stuff. So my wife recently, Gabby, she introduced Jade. She's three and a half years old. She introduced her the concept of a pinky promise. Now, JD, being three and a half, she doesn't really have the maturity to come through with her word when she makes a pinky promise. But every time that it's necessary, she'll mention a pinky promise. She'll say to mommy, mommy, if I eat all of my dinner, you're going to give me a treat. Pinky promise? And so there's a pinky promise, and you need to live up to your word. So deeply ingrained in almost every culture on earth, wherever you go, is this idea that we are meant to keep our word. And many times you seal it with a covenant. And during this past week, I was coming to grips with this topic of covenant. And Jade, is, she, she loves all kinds of movie, movies, and she asked to watch this movie, Puss in Boots. How many of you know? I'm more of a Pixar kind of guy, not so much DreamWorks, but, but okay. So she was watching it, and when she watches a movie, she really watches on the loop. So she doesn't stop, and she's watching and watching. And I don't pay much attention to these animation movies, but all of a sudden, I was in the living room when she was watching, and these thoughts coming in my head about the message, and all of a sudden, uh, Humpty Dumpty and Puss, they pick up a needle, 
and they pierce their fingers until blood comes out, and then they lock fingers so that they can become blood brothers. Now, I immediately, th- first I was shocked. This is in a children's movie. This is like, what if kids start like picking up needles and doing the same? But it, it's such a reminder that this concept of a promise, this concept of an oath, this concept of a covenant between two people, regardless if it's because of business, if it's because of a marriage, uh, whatever it is that makes people do this, it shows us the importance. So when I saw that on the TV, it was for me the kind of confirmation, okay, this is the direction God wants me to take for this, this Sunday. And there are several covenants in the Bible, but the most powerful, powerful covenant of all is known as the blood covenant. And I believe Dina mentioned it in a sermon not that long ago. The word covenant in Hebrew literally means to cut, to shed blood. It's been used in civilized, uh, many civilized cultures as well as primitive nations to unite two people in marriage, as I said, in business, or just friendship. Blood as, as much as we're, I, I don't like blood, if I see blood on TV and if I see a crime show, whatever it is, I'm out of it. I'm not really a fan of anything that has to do with blood, but actually blood is one of the main subjects in the whole Bible. The Old and the New Testament are really the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and they were both provided by blood. The Old Covenant by the blood of animals the new covenant by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said when he entered into the upper room with his disciples for the last summer, and we read this passage last Sunday, we're going to read it again in Luke 23. And will you stand with me as we read this passage together, as it is the main passage so that we fully understand what the Lord will be speaking to us this morning. The word of God says, And he took bread gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So, Lord Jesus, as we unfold what your word says about this new covenant that you've entered with us. Lord, I pray that every heart will be opened, that your Holy Spirit will give us understanding so that we can apply this word into our lives, Lord. Everything that we're going to share about your word is so precious. It goes beyond our natural understanding, Lord. So we really ask your Holy Spirit to give us the understanding that comes from him. And Lord, thank you that you are here with us and thank you that your word will do what you um, purpose for it to accomplish this morning. We give you honor and praise in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus is saying we're entering into a new blood covenant with him. We're entering into a new blood covenant with God. Now the old covenant, the Old Testament is opposed to the new, is opposed to what Jesus is is instituting here right now. And these covenants, they come from the desire of God to be in relationship with us. And so that we don't, we understand that God is not just a random God that does what 
He wakes up one morning and just decides to do something. And then the, the other day he does something completely different. God is not like that. He wants us to understand that he is a God that keeps his word. He is a God of covenants. So, but the old covenant, in practical terms, what people were experiencing is they had to keep up with the law. They had to keep the rituals. They had to keep the legalism. You had to earn it. You had to work for it. You had to deserve it. And if you messed up, and people did mess up all the time, you would sacrifice an animal. But their blood would not take away your sin. It would just cover your sin and move your sin into another year, into another year, until the next sacrifice that you made. But Jesus said when his life was about to be poured out for us on the cross, Jesus said it would mark the beginning of a new and better covenant. The covenant in his blood, which is shed for us. And only his blood is able to clean us from all sin, according to Scripture. Now, to better understand this covenant, God's covenant with us today, we want to look into the old covenant because it doesn't matter if we are in a new covenant and there's an old that doesn't apply for us. God is the same. And that's why we read the Old Testament and we read the New Testament and we understand the Old Testament because we, we understand the old because we know the new. So we're going to look together, please, in Genesis chapter 15. And we're going to look into a beginning of the old covenant in this relationship that God had with Abraham in Genesis 15, starting in verse 1. The word of God says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. Beautiful words. Let's read them again. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. And after this, when the Bible says after this, it's referring to a time when Abraham had just returned from the battlefield. He had just won this huge victory over four powerful kings in that territory. They were terrorizing the whole area. And these were powerful enemies. These were four kingdoms that Abraham went to war against. And so he was exhausted. As you could imagine, we don't know if he was wondering if those enemies were going to try to have revenge on him afterwards. Maybe he was wondering what he was supposed to be doing next with his life. And he maybe had a, a sense of a letdown. I, I was reading about this many times after we achieve something big in our lives, a major goal, we have this sense of a letdown. This, this feeling is, is this it? What am, what, what am I supposed to do next? And that's why women are warned about postnatal depression because after the arrival of the baby, they, all, they live for that and all of a sudden, okay, what is next? What, what am I supposed to do? That's why retirees, they need to be ready for that sense of a letdown because they're finally able to retire and then they think, okay, so what now? What am I supposed to I'm, I'm looking to a few retirees here. I think they're identifying. I don't want to make anyone depressed this morning. So Abram, he was probably experiencing some sort of a letdown, some sort of, of a feeling of depression, maybe a post-traumatic stress for being at war. 
All this to say that we all live with some degree of fear in our hearts. And it can come sometimes unexpectedly, sometimes in an overwhelming way. And that's why the first thing God says to Abraham is, do not be afraid, Abraham. Even after a huge victory, God says, do not be afraid, Abraham. That's what God says to us throughout our lives. In every possible circumstance, do not let fear control you, Abraham. Do not let fear dominate your emotions. Do not let fear take over. Someone was telling me this week how fear is such a natural feeling. And thank God for that feeling. It makes us realize so many important things that we need to do, so many cautions that we need to have. But God is reminding Abraham, Abraham, slow down. Do not let fear take over you. And God says, I am your shield. Now, we don't have, we don't have much, we're not so familiar with shields these days. Maybe if you use a computer, especially a Windows computer, I'm more of a Mac person. We don't need antiviruses. We don't need that kind of software. Macs are just like that. But if you are a Windows user, you have a shield on your computer, right, Josh? You have to. It reminds you that that is the protection that your computer needs against threats. Maybe you also see it on cleaning products. If it has a shield on the logo, then it means now this is something powerful. This is going to do what it's supposed to be doing. And remember, Abraham just returned from war. He probably knew from experience the power of a shield. With a shield, you can stop the attacks of the enemy. With a shield, he, he could stop uh, the, the swords. He could stop flaming arrows. He probably owed his life to a shield. And God is reminding Abraham, Abraham, you don't have to be afraid because I am your shield. I am the one that keeps you safe. This is what Abraham needed to hear back then. And maybe this is what you need to understand and hear again from the Lord this morning. Our lives are safe when God is our shield. And I know that in the middle of the battle, and I know that in the middle of the struggles, it feels like we're all taking the bullets ourselves. We feel that we're taking all the hits, we're taking all the burn, and we ask God, where are you? But let me make you understand this. God is your shield. You, you're, what you're going through right now, nothing compares to if God wasn't being your shield in your life. You may be feeling a lot of heat, but God is the one that is protecting you. You're not even receiving 10% of what is coming at you. God is with you, and God is protecting you along the way. As you live your life for him, do not be afraid. God is your shield. And God says, I am your very great reward. Why is God saying this? Because in chapter 14, as Abraham was returning from that big victory, his army and Abraham himself, they take from what is offered in the battlefield, what is there. And there was a huge reward in return of his victory. One of the kings, the king of Sodom, offered Abraham a huge reward in return for the victory, in return for his help. 
But Abraham told him in Genesis 14, 23, I will not accept anything belonging to you, so you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. Now, beautiful attitude of Abraham. In fact, Abraham did the opposite. He gave a tenth of all he had taken, of all that he had, to the king of Solomon. And there's a symbolism on this tenth. He gave 10% to this other king, and it symbolizes the whole. It's saying, I am serving you with all of my possessions. I'm serving you with all that I have. But at this point, when God speaks to Abraham, we don't know if Abraham was thinking, man, I could have gotten so rich yesterday. Man, if I had taken this, all this riches that, that this king was offering me, was it really the will of God for me to give up all of that money? I could have done so much good things with that money. Was it the, right, the wise thing to do? And God tells Abram, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your very great reward. God is not only in charge of our protection. God is in charge of our provision. God is faithful to take care of those that belong to him. God is taking care of us. In this covenant, it also means that God is greater than any blessing that he can possibly give. God himself is our greatest reward. To be in relationship with God, to be loved by God, to be in partnership with God, to be able to serve God, even to be able to be in the presence of God is the unique and sole most highest blessing that we can possibly have in our lives. I am your very great reward. But Abraham asks in verse 8, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know for sure that you're going to come through on these promises? God, what you're saying is beautiful and amazing and it's exactly what I needed to hear. When God speaks to us, but how can I know? How can I find peace in those words that you say? How can I apply it into my heart? How can I let these words sink in and change my feelings and change the way that I'm processing all of this information right now? And in the new covenant, the new testament, Abram is known for his great faith. He is called the father of the faithful. Abraham is an example of how we should relate to God in faith. So it makes me feel a little bit better to see that Abraham's faith was not perfect. It makes me feel a little bit better than he also battled with questions and doubts and emotions that were so overwhelming at times that he didn't understand exactly what was going on. Doesn't this describe your faith? I know it describes mine. But it also makes me feel so much better to know that God wasn't angry with Abraham. God didn't go to Abraham, Abraham, I am God. Whatever I say goes, I am God and I say, and you are my, you're my creation and you should follow what I say. That was not God's attitude to him. In fact, God did something pretty incredible just to increase Abraham's confidence. So let's read together, starting in verse 9. The word of God says, The Lord said to Abraham, 
Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old goat, and a three-year-old male sheep, a dove, and a young pigeon. Abraham brought them all to God. Then Abraham killed the animals and cut each of them into two pieces, laying each half opposite to the other half. But he did not cut the birds in half. After the sun went down, it was very dark. Suddenly a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch passed between the halves of the dead animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Now I know that this all sounds strange to you as it sounds strange to me. I've never seen this in real life. But this kind of ceremony was actually familiar to Abraham. This was the way people made extremely important covenants in this part of the world. It symbolized that if one of the parties broke a covenant, they acknowledged that they would be torn apart like these animals. It showed the seriousness of the agreement. If anything, you can compare this to a contract that, or a rental or a purchase or whatever you do is the most important way of you saying, I'm going to keep my word. And God was simply showing grace to Abraham, not imposing, hey, my word never fails. You better believe in me. Who are you to doubt my word if I say that I'm going to do something? But God so humbly goes in such an agreement with Abraham so he could understand that God wasn't joking. When God says that he is with you, he means it. He's never going to back away. He's never going to return on his word. He's not going to change his mind about you and me at any point. He is a promise-keeping, covenant-abiding God. He follows through his word. Even if God does something that looks random to us, that we cannot understand, we can trust that he is in control. Because God will never do something that will break his covenant with you and me. He has given to you his word in the covenant that is sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But what happens next in this story is the most important part of the story. Because Abram saw the vision of a torch and an instant pot going between the sacrificial animals. In a normal contract, both parties would be required to hold hands and walk together between the pieces of the animals. But in this vision that Abraham said, it was only God walking between the animals, which means that God did not require Abraham to sign the contract. God himself signed the contract for both parties. God was showing that this covenant with Abraham and the covenant that he makes with us is unconditional. That there was nothing that Abraham could do that would make this covenant void. There was nothing in Abraham's life or there's nothing that you and I can make that will break God's covenant with mankind. The new covenant as well, it also depends on God and God alone. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, God saved you through faith as an act of kindness. 
You had nothing to do with it. Being saved is a gift from God. It's not the result of anything you've done. In the covenant by the blood of Jesus Christ, salvation is available to anyone who believes in Jesus. It's the ultimate guarantee that even if we mess things up, and we do, and we do mess up a lot, but the word of God promises us that God is not going to give up on you. Even when we mess things up, God does not give up on you. His word still stands. His love still stands. Abraham messed up a lot. And so do we. But the word of God says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You see, no matter how far people run away from God, God will never close the door. It feels so crazy because there's not such a condition on human contracts. There's nothing on this earth that can even compare to this level of faithfulness. God says, as long as we keep coming back to him in true repentance of leaving our sins behind, we have his word that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, will cleanse us of all of our sins. No matter how far we have ran away from God, his door will always be open to us. And here we can see so much beauty in this covenant already, so much beautiful things of, of how God relates to us through this covenant. But there's, there are other aspects that I want to share with you that we find more in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 18. And we're going to start reading in verse 3. The Bible says, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David. And he gave him his armor, even to his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out wherever Saul sent him, and behaved wisely, and set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people, also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now I know that this is talking about a covenant between two people, but it shows us the power of a covenant. And the principles of, a, of the covenant that still apply to us today. And there is something remarkable and powerful in the covenant that Jonathan, he was son of Saul, the king of Israel at that time that he made with David. And so they came to a point that they said to each other, let's make a covenant. And they entered a blood covenant because the word covenant means cut. So it means literally a blood covenant. But after they did that covenant, what was common, Jonathan does something that was not common. First, he takes off his robe 
and he hands it to David. Jonathan was the son of a king. His robe wasn't just a piece of clothing. He didn't look at David. You look a little bit like it's a bit cold out here. Let me give you my robe. That's not what is going on. The robe identified Jonathan as the son of the king. Wherever he went, people would look. And this particular robe meant this man is royalty. It spoke of his position. It spoke of his identity. So what Jonathan was really saying and doing in that covenant with David is, I am the rightful heir. I am the son of the king. But I want you to take my position. The throne was waiting for me, but I am giving you this position. I am giving you my robe and he's doing it with a blood covenant. And the beautiful thing about this is that this is exactly what Jesus did for you and me. The Bible teaches us that when Jesus went to the cross, the first thing he did was he traded positions with you and me. We were the ones meant to be at that cross, paying for our sins. But he gave us his place of sonship with God so that we could inherit all the blessings that come from the throne of God. Because of what Jesus did, because you and I were now sons and daughters of the Most High God, we don't have to come before God as beggars. We don't have to come to God as strangers and foreigners. We come to God as sons. We come to God as daughters. The door of the palace, the doors of the kingdom, the the throne room are always open to us because God is our father. And he's waiting for us to go in and be at his presence and ask and praise him and spend time with him because this is what Jesus did for us. When we enter into a covenant Because of the blood of Jesus, we receive the sonship. We receive the privilege of being called children of the Most High God. We are clothed in Jesus' righteousness that allows us to be in the presence of God. And then as if it wasn't enough, Jonathan takes his sword and he gives it to David What this means is that from this day onwards, David, whoever fights against you, he's fighting against me. Whoever is attacking you, they're attacking me. If they come at war against you, it means that I'm going to join you in the battlefield and I'm going to battle with you. And I'm going to battle for you. And if they try to destroy us, we're going to destroy them. That's what the blood covenant does. We have a God that fights our battles. We have a God that has given us his word that whatever happens in life, whatever we go through, no matter how hard the situation is, no matter how hard the circumstances are, God is going to be at your side because God says, I am your shield and I'm giving you my sword. And it means I'm going to be with you always. The faithfulness of God is in good times and it's also and especially in the bad times that we go through. We're never alone in this beautiful covenant that God has made with us.
Later on, David becomes king. This symbol, this symbolism of what Jonathan did, and especially when David was younger, he was anointed to become king. He had this promise in his life, and soon it came to life. Saul dies, Jonathan also unfortunately tragically dies. But David made a blood covenant with Jonathan. And now David, at some point later in the future, he is sitting on the throne. And the Bible says that he was asking this question. I don't know what made him think about that. I don't know if he was in the throne room just thinking about the goodness of God, about the faithfulness of God. We don't know exactly why, but maybe, just maybe, he looked at his hand and he saw a scar. And he was reminded of that covenant that he made with Jonathan. Jonathan was no longer with him. But he remembered of that blood covenant. And he asked in 2 Samuel chapter 9, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? That's a covenant word. Show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, what all the people in the palace were thinking was, this is revenge time. Because when the, in, Bible, in Bible days, the first thing that a king would do if, if he took over someone else's kingdom is that he would hunt down anyone who could challenge his throne. And he would kill all the royal descendants from different places. So when he asked this question, how, how can I show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Everyone was thinking, yeah, yeah, show kindness. All right. Here comes the purge. Here comes a time. Every single king, David is not going to be different. But someone, thinking that he was doing David a favor, spoke up and he said, there's one person left. There is one left of Jonathan's house, and his name is Mephibosheth. Beautiful name. I want to call him Mephi, but I'm not. His name is Mephibosheth. Let's respect him. And there was this man, but actually it's a tragic story. You know, when Saul was killed, and the word came to his family, to everyone that lived with Saul, everyone was running for their lives. And Mephibosheth, he belonged to the royal household, and he had a nurse. He was a baby at that point when Saul died. And he had a nurse that when she, got, um, when she heard that Saul was dead, she understood it means that they're now coming after the family, and she loved the baby. She loved baby Mephibosheth, so she picked up the baby and started running. But the Bible says that she was in such a rush that she fell on the baby when she ran, and she crushed the baby's legs. So Mephibosheth, he grew up as a cripple. And now he was living in a place called Lodebar, which means barren, means dry pastures. He was relying on someone else's help to do the day-to-day things. He was actually living on the mercy of someone in their, own, in their house. And David says to his mighty men, so let's take chariots and horses and please go and fetch him out for me. And when they go, 
All of these royal horses and chariots and soldiers, they're going to Lodabar to fetch Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, imagine him, he's in his house. He starts hearing this huge sound of a war, almost of a war coming his way. And he crawls up and looks through the window and he says the royal chariots and he, and he thinks, I'm doomed. This is it. They found me. Because all he ever heard throughout his life is that if David has a clue, receives a hint that if he lives there, he's going to come for him. That's what every king does. That's what everyone does. He tried his best to hide. He tried his best to live in the shadows. He, tried to, he was living in the most barren land of all of Israel. But now they found where he was and he thought, this is it. I'm done. They're going to put me out of my misery. And they take him in the chariot horses. They fetched him. But when they get there, when they get to, to Jerusalem, they don't take him to prison. They took him to the palace. And he walks in. And one of the servants says, Your Highness, would you like your bath Lukewarm or hot? What the? Yeah, we have prepared the, ba the bath for you. You probably came from a very long journey, so we want to make sure that you have everything you need. And afterwards, we put this, these clothes aside. We have Versace. We have guests. We, ha we have uh, Dior. Please choose whatever fits you best. And if th these are not good for you, we're going to try to find something else because this is the palace. We have everything here. And then afterwards, after you prepared and after you bathe, the, the, you're going to have a meal in the, with the king in the presidential suite. And not just that, but you're going to be the honored guest at the king's table. And they bathe him, they clothe him, they help him get dressed, they carry him, and they sit Mephibosheth right next to the king and he was looking at that table just that table alone so much food he had never seen such amount of food in his whole lifetime and he's sitting there and the king only smiles to him everyone is being so nice everyone is being so pleasant to him and you can't help but think, why am I here? I am like a dead dog. Why am I here? This doesn't make sense. And he asks the king, I do not understand why you brought me here. Is this some kind of torture? Is this just for me to feel bad, making me try to feel good so that you can punish me hardest? What are you doing? And I imagine David showing him the scar. I imagine David explaining to him, you know, it's not about anything that you have done. But I've met Jonathan. And we entered a blood covenant. And I will show kindness to you because I want to show kindness to Jonathan. You're not here on your behalf. You're here because 
you belong to Jonathan. And from now on, I don't want you to be afraid. From now on, I will show you kindness throughout all the days of, of your life. All the days of your life, you're never going to leave this palace. Throughout the rest of your life, you're going to eat seated at my table right next to me. From now on, you will eat continually on my table because you belong here with me. And Jesus is saying to every person in this room, I know you. I know who you, who you are. I know what you've done. I know your past. But because of the new covenant that you have with Jesus Christ, my son, you will always be welcome at my table. Whatever it is that you need, I will provide. I will give you a new position. I will give you your provision. I will give you all the weapons that you need. I will give you all the protection. I will give you my constant presence through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love how this story ends. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 13. This is the very last verse. This is what the word of God says. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was crippled in both feet. He was still crippled. He was still broken. He was probably still ashamed of his condition. That was not going to go away. But when he sat at the king's table with everyone else, no one could look at his legs. No one could ever understand that this man was crippled. And when we sit at the table with Jesus, no one can see how broken you really are. No one can understand how dirty you feel. No one can understand the biggest problems. No one can see that because you're seated at the king's table because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. You're seated at the table of the king because of what Jesus Christ did for you and me. There is no shame at the king's table. There is no judgment at the king's table. Because we're all the same. And we are all met by the grace of our king. I want to ask the worship team to please come as we close. And I really believe today is maybe one of the most important messages that you will ever hear. I believe that God is speaking to many of you today. And I hope that you understand that God is not angry at you. God is not disappointed in you. 
He is simply waiting on you. He's waiting for you to turn to him with all of your heart. He's waiting for you to take the step back into the presence of God. He is such a loving God and he is calling you to be closer to him. And maybe this was the first time that you ever heard about covenants. This was the first time that you heard about how God wants to relate with you and how God wants to be faithful to you. This was only possible because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, he traded places with you in order to give you sonship, in order that you can become a child of God in order that you can relate to God in the first place so you're not in this place away from God, completely filthy, completely dirty because of your sins, because of all the different ways that you messed up, because of all the problems that you carry with you in your life. God is simply inviting you to come and embrace him in this wonderful covenant because of everything that Jesus did. And I want to invite everyone in this room with me to just close your eyes. And I want to invite you, if you've never entered in this covenant, in the blood of Jesus, if you've never entered into this relationship that was marked by the blood of Jesus Christ, that guarantees you all of the promises of God, guarantees you eternal life with God forever, promises you forgiveness of your sins, it promises you love and peace and joy all of the days of your life. Then I would love and I would be honored if you would pray with me this morning. If wherever you are in this room right now, just between you and God, if you say, God, I realize that I'm crippled. I realize that I'm broken. I realize that I've messed up so much but God thank you for sending Jesus thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for me thank you for the forgiveness of sins that I have with him so forgive me of my sins give me a new heart make me your son or daughter and help me to live with you forever in this new covenant, in the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you pray this prayer, if you ask God for this, the Bible says that the biggest miracle of your life already happened. You became a child of God. The promises of the God's covenant are yours to keep. You now have a God that fights your battles. Now you have a God that promises to provide for you. Now you have a God that promises to take care of you. A God that is able to take away all fear. A God that is able to carry you through the hardest struggles in life. A God that promises you eternal life when life on earth ends. This is everything that the blood of Jesus Christ guarantees to us. Now, some of you may be at a time in your lives where you may be filled with fear and doubt 
of the uncertainties of things that might happen, things that have happened in the past. Doubting whether God is really with you. Doubting if God is really going to come through for you. But my friends, my dear family, may this message remind you that the covenant in Jesus' blood gives us all the guarantees that we need. It gives us all the assurance that you need. It's all the proof that we need to trust him with all of our hearts. God is not going to abandon you. God is not going to forsake you. No matter what you're going through today and no matter the feelings in your heart this morning, God is bigger than your feelings. Because no matter what you did, no matter what you will do in the future, He promises to remain faithful to you. Whatever happens, God has your back. And remember this, we don't need to know every single thing about God's plans for you and me. God is not obligated to show you what he's going to do next. Because all you and I ever need from God is this covenant. And I'll invite you to stand with me and as we worship, that you will remind your own soul And you will pray to God and you will say, God, thank you that we're together. Thank you that we're in this covenant together. Thank you that you're not going to abandon me. I trust that you're not going to forsake me. Thank you for the victory that you're going to give me. Thank you for the provision that is going to come through. Thank you for your grace and your faithfulness that always shows up, maybe in unexpected ways. But God is for you. May this covenant of peace guard our hearts and our minds every single day of our lives until Jesus comes back.